Hi and welcome to episode 149 of Talking with Painters where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger coming to you from Gadigal Land and if you've been listening to the last few episodes you'll know that while I'm getting my YouTube channel up to date I've been diving into the archives and bringing you some of the highlights of previous episodes. And I've uploaded another video since my last episode, and that is of my chat with Julia Goodman, who I spoke to about an hour after it was announced she won the Archibald Prize earlier this year, and that was with that beautiful work of Singer Montaigne. There's a link in the show notes to that video, but I'm also looking forward to speaking with Julia live at the Art Gallery of New South Wales in December in the Artists in Conversation series, which I've been involved in for the last few years. So I have lots of questions for her. She is such a dynamic and creative artist and I'll keep you updated as to when those tickets go on sale. But before that happens, I'm actually going to be speaking with Steve Lopez at the gallery and that's going to be on Wednesday the 25th of October. Steve has been a guest twice on the podcast, most recently when that magnificent survey show of his work was on at the SH Irvine Gallery. Tickets should be going on sale soon on the Art Gallery of New South Wales website. So come along. It'll be a fun night. I hope to see you there. Now, in the last episode, I went into the archives and brought you clips from six podcast guests where they talked with me about colour. And I said in that episode that there were many more clips I could choose from. Well, since then, I keep remembering some great clips from other episodes. Uh, So I thought, why not make a part two of this topic? And so I'm bringing you another 12 artists uh, who have inspired me. So I hope they do the same for you. And I'm starting with a clip from 2020, my interview with David Griggs. We spoke in the lead up to his show at Roslyn Oxley Nine Gallery, a show called Mankini Island, which included some rather psychedelic works. And you can see a few of those in the YouTube video. So for me, I want mood, I want energy, I want like happiness, if that sounds, you know, a bit silly, but it is, you want to, you know, and there's, I'm telling you, there's nothing more sort of thrilling than throwing some paint around and moving some paint around and mixing some color and seeing the contrast between this color and that color. And it's a fleeting millisecond of a feeling because it only happens once and you feel it and then you keep doing it and and you're moving the paint and it's like when you can get that feeling, ah, it's like I did it, you know. And you haven't been sitting down drawing an eye for 20 hours, you know. It's like you, you've just yeah. you've created a feeling just with colour. Well, that colour palette you're using right. in, those show, in those paintings is, is re- as you say, uh, if you are trying to convey a sense of happiness, I think those colours you've chosen are helping that aim. Do you think that choice of colour is important to convey a certain emotion? Oh, completely, yeah. With some of the palettes... It's reflecting my mood probably more than trying to get a reaction of a mood, you know, for a viewer. Um, But if my mood at that time or my connection I had with those colors at that given time is thrilling or uh, visually, at least visually thrilling, then nine out of ten times people will have that same visual reaction yeah right. um but you know this this can ebb and flow and and we view paint you know we view color completely also because of the scale 
we view the color because of the color of the floor in the gallery. I mean, there's so many things that will come into play to viewing the painting. So the way I view it in the studio when I'm painting, like usually when I hang a work somewhere, it's like, really? They're the colors I use? Because it didn't look like that. You know, and that's the thing because the whole environment you're in will trigger different ways the color is being reflected. And I sort of like that about a painting. You know, like people talk about a, pa a painting as the, oh, it's just a commodity, it's an object, it's like so easy if you're a painter and it's like, yeah, but it's actually super ephemeral. And people are like, what, what are you talking about? It's paint on a canvas, it's not ephemeral. It's like, no, nah, the light makes it ephemeral. It's always changing, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not disintegrating and all this, you know, becoming extinct in, a, in its own form, but it is ephemeral in a visual aspect. Mm. In 2018, I interviewed Laura Jones and we talked about her stunning large-scale paintings of flowers. And I just saw some recent jaw-dropping works at Sydney Contemporary a couple of days ago in Chalk Horse Gallery's booth. Absolutely astounding work. Here I was asking whether she mixes her colours on her palette before she starts painting. Yeah, um, I spend quite a lot of time mixing the palette. So I'll mix a underpainting colour, maybe one or two. I like to make it hard for myself. So I'll do the underpainting in like three different colours. I won't do a wash of one colour. Oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? I just think it's interesting at the end. I don't know. And it's yeah. like a cool, like a sort of process of elimination almost. If you put a big wash of you know like roughly there's heaps of red there and roughly there's heaps of blue there and then I'll do a big wash of brown down the bottom and then sort of build on top of those so there's like a back and forth that happens a tension that happens with those colors underneath kind of mm. always I'm always trying to leave a little bit of those coming through so I'll so I'll mix those key colors in the thin washes just in a tin and then I'll mix the sort of overall final colours that I want or on the palette and that's like in the thicker paint and oh so you have you have determined so, the colour palette pretty much from the beginning. Pretty much, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the sort of the only thing I really know. <laughs> it's definitely I definitely think it's the um it's part of part of the painting that I enjoy the most is the sort of colour problem solving. Mm. I really what sort of problems would you have? Well, imbalance or how to make something kind of pop or, um, you know, picking a really interesting highlight that you wouldn't usually expect, having something underneath showing through that sort of vibrates with a top colour. Um, so, yeah. so layering is important Layering to is get really that. important to me and to get that. And, um, yeah, the contrast of textures of the thick and thin paint that also play into the colour choice. So you've have you planned ahead how that layering is going to work? Just roughly. Mm. I have an idea of it. Mm. Um, if I know, say it's flowers, if I know that the, you know, the flowers I'm going to paint as the sort of focus of the painting, if I know they're going to be pink, then I might paint down a hint of like, dark purple or brown or green or something that will look really good with that sort of shining through from underneath mm. um so I, I do think about that yeah right yeah and 
I noticed in um, a recent post of yours on Instagram, you were talking about sort of fluorescent colours. Yeah. <laughs> Was, is that a recent thing that you're exploring? Um, yeah, I like to sort of try new colours. I definitely go through phases of leaning towards some colours and not others. And then it's good to just use something that you would never usually mm. use and see see how that plays into things. And I really like that element of, you know, putting a colour somewhere that just doesn't make sense or ha- just having a bit of um, an element of, you know, unexpected choices, colour choices and contrast so that there's a bit of interest in the surface of yeah. the painting. That's, yeah, things don't have to make sense. It's a painting. So, you know. Um, Would that usually come in at the end, something like that? Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm. Or sometimes in the underpainting. I'll just purposely put something kind of weird there and then have to work it in later. I interviewed Lewis Miller in Melbourne in 2017. He's a highly skilled painter and works wet on wet to create an alluring presence, whether it's human or still life. You may have seen his self-portrait in the Archie this year, a prize he won in 1998. With the colour, do you... Is there an element of, of, of your imagination coming into that? Or are you actually no. seeing, you're always seeing those yeah, colours? Yeah, it's all, it's all look and put. When I, everything I do is look and then put it. Have, try, and, try and make that colour, make a decision about that colour, put it down and see what it looks like. And, and is it wet on wet? Yeah, usually? Very, very much wet on wet. Um, I prefer working wet on wet because the paint tends to be attracted to the paint rather than just going on top of it. it. It's almost like an adhesion. And and pushing wet paint into wet paint, you get unexpected things. Oh. Like It's like I, I, I like to... I don't like to really know 100% of all the time. Although I just like... Um, what's the word? When I contradicted myself. Because when I put paint on the brush, I don't like it to be just one colour. I like it to be maybe a bit of something else and to be, to be a bit accidental. Oh. I don't want to be too clean. I like seeing what happens when it mixes on the surface but uh, even though I'm not really blending but so we would dip the brush into a color and then maybe the edge of the brush into another color yeah maybe yeah because on the, the secondary palette on the on the on the palette is is not always pure color it's always a slightly mixed um, and I'm working fairly rapidly so accidents happen and you you want accidents to happen um, but with control I suppose. Mm. So it goes back to what Francis Bacon was going on about, the controlled accident. And um, so, yeah, allow, allowing accidents to happen. Um, and that can even happen in a, in a still life. The next clip is from my interview with Lucy Cullerton from 2016. I visited Lucy at her property in southern New South Wales and after we recorded the interview, I followed her around as she fed her dozens of animals and you can see that video on the YouTube channel. She's practical and down to earth and as you will hear from this clip, that attitude carries over into her painting. Are there some colours on your palette that will always be there? Yeah, my palette is pretty a limited palette. It's always my primary colours, uh, a warm, cool red, warm, cool blue, warm, cool yellow, black and brown, mm. white. Yeah, and then I mix everything from there. I also buy, um, you know, there's colours that you just cannot mix. You cannot 
mix a good purple from red and blue. Red and blue makes purple, but not a good purple. So you go and buy a good purple. So if you need a really good dioxide violet colour, then mm. you go and buy it. Right. And then you might mix that with something. Yeah. yeah. All my colours are mixed. Nothing goes on straight. Right. Black, you know, it's either a warm black or a cool black, so it's got a bit of blue in it or a bit of red in it. It's the same with the yellow. Nothing is yellow. Everything has colour in the yellow. So all my colours, nothing's used straight. Everything, white has always got a mix. Everything's mixed. Mm. And it's and it's according to what you see. Yeah. You're trying to match what you I see. I do. I want you to see, if I paint red sauce on hot chips, I want you to see the red sauce colour. Mm. has to be exactly the right red, mm. and it doesn't come out of the tube. It's like anything. You just look and see what it's doing. It's like when people paint, you know, clouds aren't white. And whenever I drive, I look, I'm a late driver too. I didn't drive till I was 40. Um, anyway, when, when I'm driving and I look at the sky, I think, oh, that cloud's a bit bluey grey or it's a bit browny grey depends if it's you know nearer or further and how yellow is the cloud or how pinky is the cloud and um yeah I'm always looking at colour. I interviewed Robin Ely in 2021. He creates astonishing hyper-realist paintings but he's also taught painting over the years and he was so open about how he worked and that included sharing his thoughts on colour. And you'll hear in the second part of this clip his response to my question as to what are common mistakes he sees students make. Is it a limited palette they usually use? I mean, do you find the same colours end up on your palette? Always the same. I have... Um... What, what I think for when people look at my work, what you would, you'd be shocked to see how few colours I actually use. Primarily, I'm using ultramarine blue, transparent oxide red, terra rosa, alizarin crimson, cadmium red, yellow ochre, and titanium white. It's just at seven colours if, you, if you're including white. Um, then I have a, a range of what I call, so those are my like standard colours. That's a lot of reds. I'm surprised how many reds there are. Yeah, so the only the only two cool colors on my palette are blue and white. Everything else is warm. Um, yellow can kind of float in between, depending. Like yellow is, we're getting into the. I'll get into the. I can get into the weeds here, but yellow, you know, it, it's cooler than red and alizarin crimson. So you can actually use it to pull something around towards green a little bit, drive you around the color wheel towards green. But um, I can't paint a vibrant green, um, obviously, with that. So if there's any green. Um, then I'll bring in. I have I have guest colors. I call them guest colors. So seven stable colors. Then the rest are guest colors. That if I need them, they can come in as guests on my palette. But they have to earn their spot. They, there needs to be a reason that they are coming into my palette. So there's um, viridian green, uh, permanent and permanent green light. I also use um, uh, zinc blue, which is phthalo blue mixed with zinc with zinc white. Um, that's a that's a high chroma lighter value blue. And then I have the yellows, cadmium yellow and uh, lemon, uh, cadmium lemon. And that's basically, I'm trying to think, um, other, unless I've got like some crazy bright orange in there, that's basically it. And those colours very rarely, very rarely make it onto my palette. Yeah, right. And not yeah. black, obviously. No, um, I, so when you, when you sort of go to a traditional painting class, you may hear a teacher tell you never to use black. 
that's like I feel like that's telling someone never to, like telling someone never to use white. Um, but people, the reason people say that is because you don't know what's in the black and you don't know what it's going to do. And pe- there's a way of thinking where if you just just using black as a way to darken something, but black is a color. Black is made up of colors. And um, so you can tell what is in the black. You just mix it with a little bit of white and you can see whether it's like a, a warm black, like a Mars or a lamp black or a cool black, like a um, like an ivory black, whether there's a blue or green base to it. And so once you know what's in it, you can use it just like another color. You just got to know what's in it. But I find the color so strong and, and so just... Um, almost lifeless that it, I don't need it I, I mix a chromatic black with just ultramarine blue and, and uh, transparent oxide red which gives me a, a nice warm black that I can work out from because it works with all the other colors in my palette and I can move out from that using other colors in my palette specifically speaking one of the biggest problems I see in students when they're trying to paint realistically particularly portraits is they use too much white that's a very specific problem and all students do it because they don't know how to take the value from from dark to light by using color, by using chroma, right? So, like, when you think about color, um, uh, yellow ochre is a lighter color than burnt sienna, right? So, you can mm. lighten the burnt sienna by adding yellow ochre. But most people just want to lighten it. They'll just throw in some white. And as you add white, you just add more white. And before you know it, the color drains out and you've got this weird kind of... Uh, pastel looking um, thing because people treat color when you don't know better you treat color like value so value um, is mixed on in a straight line from dark to light color is mixed in a curve right so you mix from dark to light but also that that color is going to bend from um, where it starts to something warmer or something cooler depending on on uh, on the light source right so as it moves as the color moves um, from from darker to lighter, the light source is going to start affecting that color, and it's going to make it either warmer or cooler. And so, being able to do that without using overusing white is a is one of the real, um, it's the most difficult thing for a student. Because mm. um, we always start out black and white, and and they do their underpaintings, they do their black and white studies, and everything seems great. But then color, it's like bringing that third ball when you're juggling. It's just it's so much that it just all falls to pieces. But if you just persist, you can figure it out. In 2018, I interviewed Melinda Harper in country Victoria. There are only a handful of artists on the podcast who I would say are abstract painters, and Melinda is one of them creating spectacular, colourful works. Here she shares her thoughts on colour. Do you actually mix your colours? Yes. So in the early paintings, the very early paintings that I did, after art school and, and I didn't. I used it was very much the tube okay. or a can of paint. Um, and it wasn't until I did um, a striped painting of many colours that I started using colour. So I was doing striped paintings that were red, two different types of red and white, and I was doing very, very three-colour paintings. Um, and then I did this striped painting and I you know, that became an exhibition that I did at Gertrude Street mm-hmm. um, and it was using every colour. So it was sort of like opening the abstraction box right up mm-hmm. um, and not um, uh, being reductive but kind of doing the opposite. And why were you doing that? Because uh, I was just really interested in colour, really. Mm-hmm. And still then I was actually probably using a lot of um, 
paint straight from the tube. And over time, I started mixing and just mixing and mixing. But I'm not... Um, I'm not a great colour theorist. A lot of people expect me to have read every book on colour and I haven't. Right. Um, so it is very much um, about being in the studio and just mixing, you know, and I think experience um, uh, of mixing and mixing and mixing mm. um, that you you develop what you, you know. I read this great quote by um, Howard Hodgkins, you know, at, at 84, I can go into the studio and make a melancholic yellow. Well, I think that's, you know, that's what happens when you're just doing something. Um, you know, I think... You don't yeah. use... Let's say, in other words, you don't use theories or sort of um, you just, an academic approach. No. It's, it's just a gut And it feeling. is about spending a lot of time painting. Yeah. The next clip is from 2019, my interview with Tim Storia, who spoke with me at his home in the Southern Highlands. He's famous for his imaginative landscapes with those cloudy skies his enigmatic portraits, but also for those burning ropes and smouldering fires abandoned in the landscape. With painting flames and painting fire, mm. it's difficult to... I mean, I think what's so successful with the way you paint is that it's just... It, you've captured that um, experience of looking into a flame, which is not... It's very hard to literally interpret that when you're looking at a flame. I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is it's like painting water that's moving all the time. A flame is never still. No, that's very true. The, um, the key to it is to... I mean, for instance, that's why a, uh, a photograph of a fire is sort of so ineffectual, really. It, it's because it's just frozen, the thing. So you've got to be able to sort of allow it to have a bit of a type of movement, yeah. a frisson, if you like. And that, that involves all your skills that you can bring to bear on it. If you get too much red, it's ruined. If you get too much yellow, it's ruined. If you get one yellow, it's ruined. There's got to be two or three. Same with the reds. And there's got to be underpainting and there's got to be glazing. Yeah. And right. scumbling it. You've got everything you can manage. Yeah, I've read that you were saying you've got to have a cool and a warm red. Oh, yes, but the same applies to every colour. Every time, it doesn't matter what it is, you, if you use a cold and a warm blue or red or yellow you get a you'll get a um there used to be drysdale used it a lot there used to be a, a sort of a technique that you have hot over cold or cold over hot and what they talk about is the same thing which is you, you it causes the surface to be much more interesting visually mm -hmm. the next clip is from my 2018 interview with wendy sharp Wendy has been a guest twice on the podcast and you can see a popular 30-minute video I made from my conversation with Wendy where she takes me around her studio and shows me lots of behind-the-scenes materials, including her sketchbooks and some preliminary paintings for her Archibald portrait of Magda Zubansky, and we talk about lots of other things. She's always very generous with her knowledge and this clip is evidence of that. I love the use of colour in that in in your face in that because there's the you know you've got a light blue highlights you've got the green striped almost like that Matisse yeah. you know portrait. Um, I, I'm sort of wondering what your palette is like. Like, do you have all these colours laid out, or do you mix colours to get this effect? Uh, you, I think I would advise if I was teaching that everyone should have all the colours laid out. I don't mean the colours you're going to do because you don't know what you're going to do, but you have all of the colours that you have the reds, the yellows, the blues, etc., all on your palette. You should, if you're, well, 
unless you're doing something where you know you're only working in two colours, otherwise you need to have it all there because you don't know what you need. You know that you want a pinky colour, but it needs a bit of yellow. It needs a bit of white. It's still mm. too bright. It needs a bit of, you know, something else, green or something, just mm. to tone it back. So you need to have it all there to get it exactly right. When you say all the colours, do you mean like a cool and a warm yes, yellow? Yes, cool I mean and a, a cool and a warm, exactly. So of each one. Exactly. If I... My advice, you know, what exactly what I have, I can think of exactly. Well, I suppose I could tell you every colour I have. But I would say that if I was if I was buying paint from scratch and I didn't have it all, I would buy a warm and a cool yellow, warm and cool red, warm and cool blue, um, a black and a white. But I would probably, I would also buy a, a rosy pink because you can't, uh, I'd have a alizarin crimson, which, but then a rosy pink because you can't really get that, mm. exactly that. Mm. And I would probably have a viridian, which is a green. And mm. although you can make browns, I would usually have one or two browns. Right. But then I wouldn't just, it's re, only if you want a really pure colour are you going to use that straight out of the tube because generally you're, tone, you're mucking around with it. So you're adding, does this, this, yes, I want something orange, but yes, it needs a bit more yellow or it's too bright, I'm going to add the opposite of it, which is a tiny bit of blue. Or it needs to be more red or whatever it needs. So you want to have it there so you can get it, to the exact pitch at exactly the right right thing. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I am very interested, even though I do use a lot of colour, of course, I, I am very tonal and I really am interested in strong tone, light mm. and dark, mm. which is, I mean, which is one of the things that's always been something right back that I love. So which is why I've done lots of paintings of night and I also love stage lighting. This next clip is from my 2022 interview with landscape artist Idris Murphy. The travelling survey show of his work in the last year was extremely popular and included works over the last three decades. He's painted many different landscapes, distilling them to their essence, and the paints he uses not only range widely in hue, but also cross over into metallic paint. My YouTube video of Idris is next in line for production, so I'm hoping to get that on the channel soon. Here we talk about his experiences painting in the desert, which is an important part of his work. But when I got to the outback, I thought, there's every colour at different times of the day, there's every colour you ever want out here. I mean, it's just saturated sometimes and enormously subtle and other times, and you can, it doesn't matter what colour you turn up with, it's there somewhere. So... Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, most people probably wouldn't see it. Do you have to no. look for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll look because you're an artist. That's what you're looking for. I mean, I'm a colourist. Colour is the first thing I see. I mean, I mean, that's, prob that's my bias. There's no doubt about that. I mean, but, you know, um, you know, where I've been going, Glenis and I have been going recently um, out to uh, Ross River, uh, out to the um, uh, McDonald's, East McDonald's, which is magnificent country. Some of the colour late in the afternoon that hits those rocks, which look reddish, but become luminous in a way that you just could not describe. I mean, in the Kimberleys, I mean, we I've been around a lot. I took American students to Kakadu. I, you know, I've been down the coast in boats. I mean, sometimes the colour is shocking. Absolutely shocking. What time of the day do you think it, that most? Oh, for happens? me, it's late afternoon. It, it, recently, I it was Glenis and I just had a week on our own um, out out of Alice, and the sun went down, and it was a pretty nice sunset. You know, not fabulous, but 
really very subtle and very beautiful. But then as it as the sun disappeared, this reflected light hit the hill behind us. And, I mean, that's what I'm trying to work out now. How do I make a colour of that luminosity? And uh, it's just extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the watercolour in, in Kakadu, the, the, the clarity of it in some cases, um, and the shadows of being black. Um, I mean, you know, the Indigenous guys have seen it all. They, they pick it up. I mean, um, and it's, it's extraordinary. Aida Tomescu is another artist who has been on the podcast more than once. This clip is from our conversation in 2017. Aida has in the past referred to colour in her paintings as found colour and I asked her what she meant by that. Uh, what I mean by found colour is I, I excavate a lot uh, and, and use a lot of the previous layers and as I scrape back into the ground, and, you know, excavating might be an easier way to explain it. Say, I excavate back into the ground. The previous layers of paint mix with the new layers of paint. And the previous colors mix with the new colors and begin creating their own color. That's why I call it found color. It is definitely found because it's found from all the layers and all the history of the painting. As I apply a new, any new color or a color, um, I don't put it on a dry ground. Uh, I automatically involve or constantly involve, uh, I constantly communicate, constantly communicates to the, to the other layers. Mm. Um, and as it does so, it mixes with the other layers. I interviewed Bernard Ollis in 2018 and his use of perspective and colour are what jump out at me every time I see his work. I find it very uplifting. He also has lectured in art and was the director of the National Art School for over a decade. And it was very interesting to hear his thoughts on colour. Is that something that you've had from day one, do you think? Like this love of colour? Um, I was, yes, I think so. I mean, I always felt the artists that I was drawn towards when I, were y when I was young were people like Van Gogh or people like Edward Munch or Expressionists. And I thought that intensity or turning those knobs up of intensity um, made the thing just more theatrical, more dramatic, more intense, more whatever, but more rather than less. And I think colour, I mean, you know, colour used badly can make it just, a, as we know, a, it can all fall apart. But if you can use colour well, I mean, colour combines itself with tone and, it can, and it's a whole and it's an experiential thing that takes a long while to work out. Greys are very very good colour between lots of bright intense primary colours so you can use it doesn't all have to be the brightest colours that you use you can play things off against each other but I've, I've done a lot of learning a lot of studying and a lot of you know the science of colour but at the end of the day intuitively it's about finding the right language and the right colour to come together to make whatever it is stand out and work and not to make it too complicated you throw too many colours in the whole thing falls apart so it's about getting all those balances. I spoke with Emily Imerson in 2020 she'd been travelling around Australia with her partner in her four-wheel drive but Covid cut their trip short and they had returned to New South Wales 
If you see my video of Emily on the YouTube channel, you'll see lots of photos she generously let me use for my video, which shows the range of places they'd travel to. And that included the desert, and she talks with me here about the challenge of painting the colours she saw in that landscape. I also was quite overwhelmed and a little bit... I was intrigued to try and paint not such saturated colours. The, the desert in the middle of the day is just... It's this intense, beautiful, passionate red or orange and it's it's just incredibly saturated naturally saturated and the sky is just massive but it's this intense bright sky blue and I just wanted to try and paint something that wasn't so saturated and for me it was that moment when the sun had already disappeared so the sun had set but then from dusk onwards these beautiful calm and passionate colors start to trickle through the sky so you've got the, the blues and the grays and the soft pinks and sometimes you've still got a bit of yellow and orange in the sky and that transitional period when the colors are changing they impact the shapes and the forms on the, on the land as well so then the, the land starts changing colors and the bright the green spin effects turns to this insane weird blue and you think, well, now we've got blue grass. We've got blue spin effects everywhere. Oh, it must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And that, that was the beginning of this idea to paint at night. And I, I guess once I started painting at night, there's a challenge of low light. So I was mixing colours that I, I couldn't see because I didn't have a head torch on I couldn't be bothered to get a torch out but I just wanted to paint by the natural lights the low lights I guess so then I was mixing these weird colors I'd never thought of and you can't really always see the canvas or the piece of paper so you just put where you think that a tree should go there you just end up putting a tree there and sometimes you overlap that tree purely because of low visibility so for me, it, it turned into an interesting way to create paintings. Well, I hope you got a bit of inspiration out of this episode. I know these artists have inspired me along the way, as have many others on the podcast. And of course, I still think even though I've brought you 18 artists talking about colour, there are plenty more artists on the podcast who are great colourists. If you'd like to hear from me about upcoming videos or podcast episodes or events I'm involved in, you can sign up to the monthly newsletter and I've put a link in the show notes to that as well. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Facebook and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.